Welcome to Language Games Podcast. My name is John Kaus. Today is part eight of our Van Til's Apologetic series. We continue on now to Van Til's second axiom. The second axiom reads, the Bible plainly teaches that people who know with certainty that God created the world know with certainty that the world is orderly. So people who know that God exists and he created the world know this world to be reliable. Now by orderly, I don't mean uh, that it's free, it's free of sin or its effects. You know, you could argue that the, the world is disordered in that sense and that it's not perfect like it was pre-fall. But I'm not using orderly in that sense. I'm using it more of just the regularity in nature. Nature is regular. Okay? It behaves in a uniform way. It's in a predictable way. And this, of course, is taught implicitly throughout Scripture. It would make no sense for God to give commands to creatures if they couldn't rely on the world in which they inhabit being orderly. They couldn't trust anything that was going on. They couldn't even take steps. They couldn't open their eyes with any kind of confidence. They couldn't trust their hearing. They couldn't trust anything that was going on if this was a completely disordered world, was, was uh, not uniform. All right, so this is implicitly taught throughout Scripture. Now, some... Someone might say, hey, we're talking a lot about the Bible's plain teachings here, but hasn't the Bible changed over time? So maybe what we have today isn't what you know, was in the past. And this objection, I don't have time to go through a thorough answer to it, has been thoroughly answered okay, throughout church, church history. In fact, as time goes on, we get even more evidence and more evidence historically that the Bible is unchanged over time. So there is, this is really just not a, a good objection at all. This has been refuted, and if you want to find the answer to it, just look it up. There are a number of books that, sh that show this. All right, let's move on to the next axiom. The Bible, the Bible plainly teaches that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. The Bible claims its own inerrancy. And by inerrant word of God, that it's a collection of God's teachings that teach no error. Now, if someone objected to this axiom, we would walk through the scriptures like we did with axiom one. Uh, just to save time, I'm not going to go through that. This is fairly well known and presented in a number of books. And so if you want to know more about that, you can see that uh, if you read through the Bible, it plainly, plainly claims its own inerrancy. You may reject that the Bible is inerrant, but it clearly cl claims its own inerrancy, being the word of God. All right. The next axiom is probably one of my favorites to, to bring up because it, it causes so much friction and it's so disputed, uh, but we use it all the time as Christians. In fact, you have to use it in apologetics, and that is the assumption that no one can demonstrate that the Bible teaches a falsehood. So I'm assuming explicitly in the argument that no one can demonstrate that the Bible teaches a falsehood. And notice all orthodox apologists make the same assumption. Right? They just don't state it, typically very openly. Because if an atheist could give, actually produce that the Bible teaches a falsehood, then Christian apologetics would, would fall away. And so any apologist who's ever given an argument at all for the Bible is always susceptible to some, you know, someone producing this kind of falsehood. And so, now I don't think he, he, it's actually even possible to produce this falsehood. But my point is, though, that you're assuming that he can't. Okay? If you had doubts about that, then why are you doing apologetics? All right, now, someone is going to come along and say, wait, 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 this is refutable. Axiom 4 is not irrefutable. Okay, try me. I know, I know that you cannot produce an, uh, such an objection that's irrefutable. 
how do I know this? God's witness on my heart tells me that I am his child, this is his word, and it is without error. I know this with certainty. This witness on my heart is not false, okay? Now, if you could produce a falsehood, then my witness would be false, okay? But it's not false, so you can't produce this witness. It's modus tollens there. Now, notice though, I never asked you to enjoy to accepting this axiom. I know it's not enjoyable to, to, to accept this, but you need to give an argument against it, okay? So if you have an argument, then give it. If we're gonna be rational here, then you need to give a reason for this rejection. If you have no good reason, then you have no relevant objection and we can move on in the argument. So go ahead, present your, refut your refutation. Now, the atheist, typically they're atheists who are interacting on this, has really two options here. Assuming he's gonna give an objection, he can give one that's infinite or finite. Now, it's not an actual infinite or actually finite. By, by infinite, I mean he can give a list that is really impossible to answer in the time allotted in our conversation. So no matter how many questions I answer, the time will run out. We'll have something else we have to go to. But he had some objection queued up that I didn't get to, and so I lost because I didn't answer that one, and so it's done. Now, this is an irrational game. Why? Because I can turn it back on the atheist. Okay, if we're just going to just keep throwing out objections until the conversation ends, well, then I can just respond in kind, and now we're just quickly shouting at each other objections, which is irrational. So if he can do it, then I can do it, and it destroys the conversation. So the number of objections has to be finite. And by finite, I just mean it has to be you know, few. It has to be um, a, a reasonable amount given the time that we have so we can actually go through the conversation. So I would propose that we need to get a give three. Okay, You, you have the option to, to give three objections, and I will answer them. But if you can't make good on these three objections, why would you trust that you can make good on any other ones that you can pull up? At that point, you have been disqualified. Okay, If your best three cannot make it, then we're moving on. Okay, we're moving on in the in the conversation. If you have three that are that you think are good, well then bring them up and we'll we'll handle them. But you only get three. Okay, we're not going to turn this into this, you know, the the endless atheist objection game, which just which just destroys reasoning. So you have three attempts, sir. Go ahead. Now let's say that he stumps me in the moment. I don't claim to know the answer to every possible objection to to the Bible. Does that refute the axiom? No, I did not claim to have memorized the answers to every possible objection in the Bible. It would be absurd that its truth would hinge on my ability to do so. I know that there is no legitimate objection, so I'm fully confident that I can find the answer. But if I do not have an answer at the moment, all I ask is a week to find the answer. Okay, so I'm not saying that we have to just suspend this forever. Just give me a week, okay? If I'm stumped in the moment, give me a week, and then I'll come back with the answer. Now, let's say that I couldn't, I didn't come back, a week went by, I didn't have an answer. What would, what would occur? Has the axiom been refuted? No, the axiom hasn't been refuted. Someone else could have an answer to this guy's objection that I didn't know of, right? Then he could use the axiom. Um, but I would have to, to suspend using the axiom, and I would have to suspend using the argument. 
And so I would have been refuted then in, in that moment. So, Mr. Atheist, come. Come with your three objections. Let's see if I can be stumped longer than a week. All right. Now, this doesn't happen because there are no good objections against the Bible, and they've all been answered for hundreds hundreds and thousands of years. This is not a new thing. Christian apologetics is not a new thing. Uh, so what typically happens is the atheist has one, okay, and maybe two. And then it just gets into uh, once he has nothing else. Well, there could be an objection, you know, down the line. There could be one. Really, how do you know that to be true? You don't. You have no good reason for this assertion. All you have are thousands of years of history of people attacking the Bible and being answered over and over and over again. You then, just without any evidence, say, well, there could be one in the future. How do you know that? You have no good reason for that. I know you have personal bias. You really want there to be one. Okay, but we're not in the game of personal bias. We're not in the game of emotions and what you want to be true. We're in the game of reasoning. So you need to give a good reason. You need to give some kind of evidence to back up that there could be a demonstration. So if you have an argument that there could be one, then go ahead. Give that argument. So you can't just state this and have it be something that you can, obviously you could state it, but it's not relevant to, to it as an objection. All right, now someone says, hey, what about Muslims? Maybe Muslims could use these axioms. Just replace the Bible with Quran. Would that work? Well, no, it wouldn't. The Quran teaches that Allah is wholly other than creation. Nothing can bind him, not even his words. So given the Quran's own words, we do not know that Allah created the world and thus do not know that the world is orderly. Now, a Muslim may object that the Quran does teach that the world is orderly and that all people know this since they know Allah is their creator. But then this would be an inconsistency in the Quran, since we cannot know the world to be a certain way based off of what we know about Allah when we cannot know anything about Allah, this, this holy other God. So axiom four then would be out. Now someone says, hey, that's not part of Islamic orthodoxy. You don't have to accept that Allah is holy other. Okay, well then we talk about how the Quran endorses large sections of the Bible, like the Pentateuch, the Psalms, and the Gospels, and yet contradicts these sections, and then so axiom four is false. We can demonstrate that the Quran teaches a falsehood. And then they're going to object and say, well, no, the Bible has changed over time. We don't have the real Bible today. It used to agree with the Quran, and now it doesn't. And, I, and to that, I would just say, no. No, you're wrong. There is no evidence whatsoever that the Bible has changed over time. None. Now, there might be like a percent, you know, of, of uh, the, the total number of, of verses in the Bible a percent, or like 1.5%, where we have dis we're disputing whether we should go one way or the other in the passage, okay? But we know which way, uh, what the options are, okay? It wasn't like it used to say this, and then it, it radically changed here, and then radically changed there, and all this, you know, it's just so fluid. The Bible's meaning, or its, uh, its words and how it's been preserved over time is so fluid. It's just completely false. There's, there's no evidence for this. So that objection, again, is without merit. It has, has no evidence for it. Now someone says, well, what about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses? 
Well, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses cannot use this axiom because their definition of God is in conflict with the Bible's plain teachings. You can't appeal to the plainness of what the Bible teaches if the God that you claim is in the Bible um, is a false God, okay? Contradicts the Bible's plain teachings about God. So you can't, you can't endorse the Bible's plainness and yet reject its plain teachings and who God is. So Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses cannot use this either. And we could go on to, to some others. I just wanted to get these out of the way because these are some of the common objections that come up that people have as we move on throughout the argument. All right, so we're going to stop there. And it won't go this slowly <laughs> as we move through. We'll start working through some inferences a little quicker as we go through here. We will stop, though, for major objections as they're relevant because uh, they're relevant. And so you should deal with them as they come up. All right, so we'll finish this inference next week showing that Christianity is a sufficient foundation for knowledge. Of course, the question becomes, is it necessary? Which will then uh, continue on in, in further sessions on uh, if it's necessary. For more content like this, you can find us on X at underscore language games. See you next time.